1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: elon musk and twitter had a heck of a week Musk buys 9.2 percent of the stock becoming the biggest shareholder is offered a seat on the board but turns it down Twitter also announces that it's adding an edit button to the platform. They've been working on it for over a year, and the feature will first come to Twitter Blue subscribers. Dali is a neural network AI that can create images from concepts expressed in natural language. You tell it what to draw, it draws it, and it's actually pretty good at it. And we interview Afua Juck adjunctfunklety at the Heinz College of Information Systems and Public Policy at Carnegie Mellon University, and author of the book, The Tech That Comes Next. We've got all this and more in Episode 30 of The Tech Giant. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood.
1: And coming out of Philly, it's your girl, Tech Life Steph.
2: And back from vacation, this is
3: Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. one arm is darker than the other one because I was <laughs> driving to vacation and the had the one arm on the window and just, so i just beating, beating, beating on my arm. So I'm trying to get my skin back to the right colors. So
2: <laughs> I, I don't know. Brother Tech, if you was paying attention to the news or anything like that while you was on vacation, if you just completely checked out. But you will never guess what happened. We actually now have or will have when she is actually sworn in a black female justice Woo-woo. of the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, Brown. Yeah, that's justice Katangi
2: Brown Jackson. How good does that sound? Ketanji, you know, Justice Katanji. Right. Because there's like really right? no doubt where where that name came from. So, that, I, I really I was wasn't just... tripping.
3: So, yes, I heard the news, you know, just scrolling through Twitter, you know, buying time, waiting on family to get dressed, to go to the beach, you know, just sitting on the edge of the bed, you know, scrolling through Twitter. I really wasn't tripping because I knew all that other stuff was performative and she was, there's no way they could have not uh, confirmed her. So it's just like, you know what, when it happens, it happens and it did. So uh, congratulations to her. You know, now that nightmare for all of us watching it can go away. Yeah, I, I
1: didn't even watch it. I, I couldn't because yeah. that was just like, y'all are really, really tripping. And it just does something to your spirit to see people mm-hmm. treat someone so qualified and educated and, and with no
3: and, legit reason, you either. know,
1: accomplished. Um, it's just, it was, I was like, I can't watch this. I can't mm-hmm. watch this. Mm-mm.
2: So, y'all, we have a guest. Coming on in the second half of our show today, I'm um, kind of excited about that. Mm-hmm. So we're not going we're not going to waste too much time. Let's go ahead and get right into the tech news. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about was something that we actually talked about last week. Uh, we, you know, was Elon Musk buying? Mm-hmm. What did he spend? Like 2.6 two point six or two point eight? He spent 9. a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. He got like nine point two percent ownership of uh of Tesla of Tesla of uh of Twitter and literally the day after we talked about it then um twitter actually said well, we're going to put him on the board but last night the ceo of uh, twitter uh what's his name parag agrawal he actually uh put a tweet out that he had sent out a, a listen initially a message to uh twitter employees and then he put this out on twitter that uh elon is not actually not going to uh be on the board And I just thought it was really interesting because it's like there's a whole lot that's going on here. And like so the first thing, if you read this tweet and you read it, it kind of sounded like maybe he didn't pass a background check. But it's like this dude is one of the most recognizable people on the planet that runs, you know, a humongous car company. You know, there's not much he's doing behind, you know, behind closed doors that people don't know about.
3: Well, it says, according to the story, it says Musk backed out the previous day. So is that so uh, a, saving face a bit, Yeah. Okay. Before they found
1: that? whatever they may find. Gotcha. Um, I think too the the issue of the fact that he would have had to keep his mouth shut a little bit more than he has. And to I'm now thinking
2: that's what it is. Is probably.
1: I mean the 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 article you shared, Rob, the Verge piece was actually really good in in sort of analyzing where I. First of all, full disclosure, I'm sick of talking about Elon Musk and Twitter and all of this. But I mean, it's tech news, so we gotta do what we gotta do. Um, but, but I say that to say, number one, he's eating up this attention, like eating it up, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and number two, I, I do believe more so than there was something in his background that might potentially disqualify him from the board. I think he did not want to give up his tweeting privileges. Um To be on the board, I think he knows of a different way to get his point across with the people at Twitter um, that doesn't involve him needing to be on the board so he can keep running his mouth.
3: so is he still a heavy investor, or was him investing contingent on being
2: on the board? we There were rumors that are uh floating around. I don't like I've I not been able to confirm or deny this yet, but the the board uh, you know in order to be on the board, you have to have less than fifteen percent uh, ownership in the company. Um, like and it doesn't sound
1: like he's taking his money back. Like, yeah, he, he's not going to be so, on the board. I don't think he's you right. know. Right, so he's, he's not doing that. All his and, or and there's
2: like you know, is, is he going to buy more? Because he, here's the thing: what That's if he? he like I said, I don't know if this is a thing or not. But, uh, you know, with the 15 percent. But if he decides that, I mean, the, you know, the, the two point eight billion or whatever he spent, that's pocket change for us. That's literally loose change for him. Mm-hmm. If he's like, yeah, I want more Twitter surrounding here. What, what is Twitter going to do? Well, he's not on the board, but like he owns a third of it. So, you know, or, or like I said, I I'm projecting like- out what he might do, but. I feel
1: like he is positioning himself to buy the company. I really do. I mean, people keep saying, well, he already runs five companies. He don't have time. He ain't really running them five companies like that. He's not present in running those five companies either. So adding one more, I don't think is going to make a difference. I think he's positioning himself to take the company altogether.
2: Yeah, Stephanie, you put out a tweet uh last week that basically said, y'all, I don't know if you think, you know, this thing is (laughs) gonna be what y'all think it is. And my response was, I hope it is not a you know two and a half to three million dollar million, two and a half to three billion dollar campaign investment. Um Mm -hmm. I'm kinda I'm kind I'm kinda wondering it because you know, there there are certain folks, there are certain political corners that are loving everything that he is doing right now with this. So I just I wanted to put that in there. I know we talked about it last week, but it is it's like it is dominating. But it's interesting. Uh, tech the news.
1: conservatives are mad now because he's not going to get that board seat because they thought that would get him in there. He would start taking control. He could bring Trump back onto the platform. He could ease now he some of have, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now he's not going to be able to do any of those things. However, if this is all a ploy to actually buy the company, then they may get what they want anyway. But it's going to be at the expense of the users that they're gonna lose. Cause I would I would leave the platform if Elon Musk bought Twitter. I'm oh, I'm, wow. going on, I'm going on record as saying um I I would most likely leave the platform because I think it would turn into something so awful and egregious that I wouldn't even feel safe being there. Um so I would definitely leave. And I think a lot of people feel like that. Uh and at the end of the day he still has shareholders. So um it'll it'll be interesting to see how this plays out.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, like I said, so I so here's the other thing, and this is a big thing for Twitter. Something I've been warning for a long time. Uh, Twitter is adding an edit button. Mm. So, are they finally doing that, or is that They're still fin- rumors? No, no, no. It's actually they it. they've come out and done it. So it was on April 1st. The Elon actually tweeted out that you know he, what did he tweet out? He tweeted out a uh, a poll. Would you like an edit button or or no? Well, of course, Earth is going to say we would like to be able to edit uh the stuff that we put out there for for many, a myriad of reasons, many, many good, many, many bad. Um, But then I guess, you know, with, uh, you know, with him buying as much of the company as he is, as he now owns with the rumors of him potentially getting on the board, I think Twitter just kind of said, you know what, we need to get out in front of this. So they came out and actually said, no, we've been working on this for quite some time. Um and they're getting close. And what I believe they're going to do is they're going to actually uh launch an edit button for uh Twitter Blue, which is their subscription service, which kinda kinda makes sense. You know, let's let's put it over here in this area first.
1: That I understand two ninety nine a month for
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know that it'll always be there. Um, I think that's gonna be like, you know, they're gonna bait it, they'll put it over there, make sure that they've got all the bugs worked out because um there's I'm a curious thing. I've
0: been
1: curious how many Twitter Blue subscriptions they even have cuz I just don't get a sense that that's been a popular thing for them or a big revenue driver. If you got Twitter Blue, uh, holla at me. Just like in the chat. Especially
3: if there's, there's no minutes. visible perk, which is why people do things on social media right. anyway, at the least if I'm going to pay 2-3 dollars for Twitter, I want to be a blue check mark person because I pay for it and the fact that there's no visible Representation as you being a Twitter blue user, it's like, well, I'm just using twi- Twitter like any I'm regular person. It. What's <laughs> the point? Per- you make it a great point because
2: that's the same reason I don't have it. Because I looked at, it like, ah, oh, it's only three dollars, but it's like, oh, wait a minute, nobody's gonna know that I had this because mm-hmm. that three dollars is all about the vanity for me. So uh, three dollars is want you $3. To know that I, I want you to know I'm coming off thirty 36- six you know, bones a year to have it. (laughs) So I want y'all to know. So, but yeah, but that, but that's where they're going to put it first. And, you know, when we talk about the number of Twitter users out there, well, yeah, when it comes to total Twitter users, there's, I don't know if they're, if they've hit a billion yet, but I mean, we're in the, you know, I think they're far north of 800 million. <laughs> yeah. So if it's just a rounding error of uh Twitter blue, well, I, like I said, I think that's just going to be where they really, you know, beta test this, get the kinks out of it before they push it out. Because one thing I do know is that you can't just, oh, we're just going to allow you to edit tweets. That would wreak havoc on, um, you know, on a lot of folks, uh, feed if they were to do that, because you're just thinking about, you know, you, you tweet something out, people actually agree with it. They start, you know, retweeting, they start liking it and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you can go back and edit it and it says something completely different than what they've already liked.
1: But that's, that's probably, you already going, you like, I think you'll always have those receipts anyway. Um, mm. and I actually, uh, appreciate the fact that, you know, you got to stand on what you posted and you can't go back and say oopsies, I don't want to be canceled. Let me switch this up now because blah 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like you got to you got to own that ish and 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 you know, come whatever consequences, you know, may come. That's that's what you got to eat. So, um I don't know. I don't know that this is even that great an idea. Just it it's it's it has public support, obviously, people have been crying for since Twitter has been in existence. But, you know, I think for the type of platform Twitter is, you know, we don't need no edit button.
2: Right. So here's where here's where I would like an edit button. Um, I have on many occasions, you know, type something out. I'm doing it on my phone. And it's not until after I send it out, it's like, oh, crap, I misspelled that. Or mm-hmm. I, you know, um, I, I was trying to tag someone and I put their Twitter tag in wrong and I right. can't go back and edit it. So what I end up doing is deleting the post and, and then going back and reposting it. So if it's yeah,
1: like edit figure, within 15 seconds or something, yeah, so, you know, so, like something on Gmail, where you can like undo the send in Gmail within like 10 seconds or eight seconds, like you get that little window.
3: But I think people really want to edit their tweets. So what I what I would suggest them do is maybe come up with a more specific function, call it proofread. And before you hit post, it gives you a draft preview that maybe that'll see how people a, like lot pe- yeah, a lot of
0: people
1: a lot
3: That's of people a lot of people say idea. I want to edit a button I want to edit a button I want to edit a button but they're kind of I think they're kind of backdooring the fact that they I don't just want to be able to fix errors I want to do like you said what Tiffany what you mentioned right. is go back and change something if I tweet something and in two or three or five minutes it go viral a lot of people feel okay well if I can get it quick enough. I can go ahead and change it up or whatever the yeah. case may be, you know, but they're coming off the idea of, no, just want to be able to edit. No, you, yeah. too much power. People will take Proof it and read. go. for I like, right. I like that. So what they need I to do guess. is be really specific if they want to do this and say, proofread, use hit post yeah. or preview. And then it says, are you sure? Yeah. And maybe even give you a little, you know, the grammatical thing, you know, on the web, it'll underline a word or something Hold like little, that. Yeah. You know, you do that like so grammarly, like text.
1: Put a spell check. Spell yeah. like yep. if,
3: you, if, if you're really concerned about edit and you really want to be concerned about edit, just to proofread, Twitter could do some better things than just doing an edit button. Well, because yeah, I think you sure they,
2: know, one of the things that uh, you can do in TweetDeck, uh, which Twitter owns, I actually use TweetDeck as my primary Twitter interface Um, when I'm on the PC. uh, You can actually have it set to where you have to click a checkbox before it'll send, mm. which has saved me. Um, on many occasions. Now, for whatever reason, on my primary Twitter account, I don't have that. But because I do run multiple accounts, the Tech John account, when I'm when I'm tweeting from there, before I can actually, you know, t- tweet out a mistake, I actually have to click a checkbox, which is kind of like, "Are you sure you want to send this type right. of thing?" And I've I've not had it clicked. Um, is like and then gone back and proofread. And oh, wait a minute, that link is wrong. Let me go fix that before I even send it out. So, um. I would like to see it. I just want to make sure that when they do it that we, you know, it's going to be for the grammar and for the spelling mistakes and for the quick Oh, I you know, I linked this that. wrong. You know, in our <laughs> first few for that. seconds asking people to for that. <laughs> yeah, so
1: people want to say what they want and get away with it uh-huh. and then act like they didn't do it.
2: Okay, so uh you know, just moving right along. So I wanted to ask a question about um doll e, which is this uh I guess is it's an AI that is drawing stuff. Now you can literally type stuff in and it yeah. understands enough about what you have typed in that it can actually create a picture for you. Stephanie, tell me right. a little about that.
1: So this is it it this is the second version so this is Dolly 2 um and obviously it was named after Wally the robot mm-hmm. from the movie but also after Salvador Dali um D A L I because of the whole art um, aspect of it as well, but it's through OpenAI. They're a well-known um, artificial intelligence research company. Um, and again, Dolly was the initial iteration of it. Dolly two is now, and it basically you can type in. I'm I'm I put myself on the wait list because they're they're not releasing it kind of to the public necessarily right now. Uh, but you can put yourself on the wait list to go beta. Uh, but you can type in something you want to see a picture of, like. uh Steph, Terrence, and Rob in three boxes online, and it would draw that picture of the three of us, you know, or, or, or create that picture of us based on the machine learning that it had done previously. So, um, it seems like pretty fascinating technology. There was, there was a woman I follow on, on Instagram that she, she did. She's a really, um, great content creator, Karen Chang, and she got access to it. So I was looking at her feed and the stuff that she was typing in and asking it to draw for her. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, it is pretty, you know, accurate in what it can do. Dolly 2 is a new AI system that can create realistic images and art from a description in natural language so yeah again you just type in what you want and it'll create a picture of it but you know as 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 fun and exciting and innovative as as the technology is it leaves the door open for a lot of of misuse and abuse um and, and I just, I just feel like it's just one of those things where like we can do it, but should we? Uh, and, and, and it doesn't sound like anybody's asking themselves that question, um, as they just kind of steamroll forward with, with this technology. I mean, they have a couple things on their page, on their about page about how they plan to, you know, curb harmful use of the, of the tool and, and, and misuse and disinformation. But, you know, the internet being what it is, we already know, you know, the potential ramifications of this and, and, and people are just bad people. And, you know, even beyond whatever you know, gates they put in place to try to keep people from, from misusing the the system is still being trained on human data and humans are just, I don't want to say inherently bad, but, um, you know, there's just inherently bad stuff out there on the internet that will also be, you know, used in the training. So it it just, which
3: is so sad. No good can come from this,
1: honestly.
3: Well, (laughs) so two things, uh, number one, um, well, to 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 piggyback off what you just said about bad things, it's kind of a tangent, but not really, right? So, <laughs> my son, who is five years old, he comes home one day, and no, he has a dream, you know, night dream at night. Comes, and runs in the room, to, you know, he's scared of huggy wuggy. Mm. And I'm like, what is that? We don't know what it is. We've never seen him watch it. You know, he has a tablet, but it's not something he watches. And according to him, uh, a friend of his at school, they play a game called Huggy Wuggy. And the game is you run around and you grab somebody and you hug them, but you hug them really tight. And you whisper this song or something Huggy Wuggy or something kind of like scary, right? So (laughs) naturally being a freaked out parent. Go on the internet, doing the searches and come to find out there's this game with this character called Huggy Wuggy and he looks cute on front, but then as the game or the video plays, the the Huggy Wuggy gets, he's got these sharp teeth and he hugs you until you die.
1: Oh. So
3: somehow that snuck into YouTube Kids because there's YouTube Mm -hmm. and then there's YouTube Kids Mm -hmm. and you know, Um, They figured out a way to let let it leak in there. So the other kids with tablets and, you know, parents who let them watch YouTube, they see that and then it spreads like wildfire. Right. Right. So just I say that, even though it's a tangent to say to piggyback on what you said, this seems this contextual text, translating text in the image seems innocent. And some of the images that they put in the in the story seem innocent. But to piggyback on what you said, Stephanie, people will figure out a way to misuse, use this incorrectly, use this for some evil stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how could they even use this for something evil? I'm like, trust me, if they can find a way to scare the crap out of five-year-old kids for no other reason, just to scare make the good. crap out of five, mm-hmm. out of, they, right. they'll, they'll figure out something, right. how to do this. That's number, two, n- number one. Number two... Um, what is the purpose? I don't see the overall use case for this in the first. Is it for people with disabilities?
1: That's is the thing. They don't. It, no. It's a it's a solution looking for a problem. I mean, right. they say it's going to help graphic designers and and artists, but but doesn't that discount the fact that you're supposed to be an artist in the first place? Right. Like if right. I can just pick what I want well, to draw,
2: then why am I an artist
1: in the first place? Yeah. Right. So I, I don't it's know. just.
2: It's getting us closer to Skynet. That, yes, that's, I mean, yes. it's, 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 AI. It's, it's AI. And, um, you know, before we, uh, bring our guest on, I'll just say this. I saw a, a Halle Berry movie over the weekend. Um, I can't think of the moon, something moon, moon, I, uh, yeah. moonfall. Yeah, I, I, yes. yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a great movie, but it's just yet another example of why we should not <laughs> yeah. be building this stuff. I'm not going to get a movie away. But there, there's a, there's a reason why we, you know, we shouldn't be doing some of this stuff. It's like, just because you can <laughs> is not necessarily the reason. That's so it's the like, they're going to they decide, I ain't that, you know, humans are horrible. Let's just get rid of all of them. So, uh, it but is, anyway. It is. And this is like, a- you know,
1: in a time of deep fakes already, we're already dealing with deep fakes in mm-hmm. porn and deep fakes with politicians making it seem like they said things they didn't say. Mm-hmm. This only makes that Easier, even easier and more accurate and more lifelike and more realistic. Uh-huh. You know, this just this just contributes to that. And it's just like, like, why do we need that? We we don't really need this. Like, honestly. Right. I like I I really would like someone to explain to me what the ideal use case for something like this could be because right. We don't I mean, I I don't know. I don't
2: I don't see it. I, do, I I can see some very positive things coming. Give me out one. Of it. Give me one. But the negative one. stuff. Well, it, it's it's kind of cool when you need a sketch of something and you can just say, hey, draw me a sketch of X, Y, and Z, and it does that for you. Software does that. I see that as being something that is is, is kind of cool It's like hey i need I need a t-shirt that has this one like you know when you can literally start talking to your computer and your computer is understanding you and then is doing the things you want it to do with regular language which which is what I think when you think about what this organization does they're they're building artificial intelligence that's that's their primary charter, not necessarily you know uh you know helping artists out but I right. think at the end of the day that there's some benefit that comes from that there's just negatives that come with that as well <laughs> And like you know people are people and you know they're always going to de- you know they're going to you know you know devolve down to the lowest common denominator of of all of us and there's going to be some horrible horrible stuff that's going to be done yeah, yeah, um, picture. You know, from this and why the, the why is because they could do it and because they're going to be it a, it's
3: going to be a picture of Chris Rock slapping Will Smith
1: <laughs> right <laughs> Why does this technology even exist? (laughs) And then, you know, to your point, Rob, now you're putting a graphic designer out of business. A human Mm -hmm. graphic designer out of business because you can just talk it and get the picture you want on. Like, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I don't see it yet, you know, clearly. I'm in the minority with this and, and I'm gonna be the angry old person shaking their fist, you know, at the kids on the, my lawn or something. But it's just like I just don't see it. I don't see it. Too much right, the y'all. pro the cons outweigh the pros <laughs> um,
3: in this or regard. are we just cynics, you know? That too. <laughs> Hit us up on social media yeah. let us let, know. Let right. us know.
1: <laughs> Ready to pop the question.
2: But yo, we we got a guest that is waiting in our green room and I want to bring her on. Um, You know, I've been waiting for this interview because I got questions. So, questions. Uh, Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest as I bring it on here into our little meeting?
1: So I'm just going to read her bio really quickly. Welcome to Afua Bruce. We are so happy to have you here. Um, Afua Bruce is a leading public interest Technologist. Am I saying that correctly? First of all, okay. Um, public interest. I, I, and I, we talked and I'm like, I should have asked you when we actually had a whole conversation. Um, but yeah, is I would have a, corrected you. Don't worry. <laughs> leading public interest technologist who has spent her career working at the intersection of technology, policy and society. Her work has spanned the government, nonprofit, private and academic sectors as she has held My printer got jacked up a little bit. I'm so sorry. Senior science and technology positions at the White House, the FBI, IBM, and a couple of nonprofits. As an if-then ambassador, Afua engages in efforts to excite girls to consider STEM careers. Yay. She has partnered with Goldie Blocks, appeared on CBS's Mission Unstoppable TV show, and is one of 120 statues of women in STEM in the if-then exhibit that was on display at the Smithsonian. And I would love to talk a little bit more about that when I get done here afua has her bachelor's degree in computer engineering as well as an mba and is currently a technology and public purpose fellow in the harvard kennedy school her newest book the tech that comes next is uh, how change makers technologists and philanthropists can build an equitable world describes how technology can advance equity afua bruce
0: welcome to the tech john we are so happy to have you here Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. i um, just really enjoying the conversation. Before I interrupted, so
3: are, are we? So yeah. we need a third party. Are we being cynics? Being you being on the fringe of technology and us talking about <laughs> people using images, AI generated images, to scare the crap out of kids? Is are we being too much? What give us a lowdown? Where, where's your side?
0: You know, um, I've forgotten who I heard um, say this, but whoever it was said something to the effect of. We live in the world that we have designed, and it is not perfect. Uh, there are people who will misuse anything and everything that's been created. And so it is easy to be cynical um, about a lot of new technologies, especially uh, when you can't find a clear, a clear use case for it. Um, mm-hmm. And the number of potential negative use cases is so... So vast as it was, uh, with the example that you were, that you were giving. Um, so I, I'd say maybe you were on the cynical side, but I'd uh, honestly say I am over there with you. <laughs> See, we, it ain't just us. We're not crazy.
3: There's power We're in numbers. We're not
1: crazy. That's right. That's right. So we want to hear a little bit. I, I would just love to get a little bit of your your background and, you, and your journey because it, it seems like you've been, um, you know, blessed to do a lot of different sort of things in a lot of different sectors. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about you know the start and and the White House and 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 a little bit about the journey before
0: you get. To the book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I really have had a lot of fun with the career that I've had. I've just been so fortunate to find myself in the right place at the right time um, multiple times and have paired that with a lot of hard work. I uh, started off my career as a software engineer at IBM. So I did my undergrad at Purdue University. I did my undergrad at Purdue University in computer engineering. I love being an engineer. Um, I love coding. I love thinking about coding. I love working with engineers. Love being an engineer. Um, but honestly, at some point, I realized that uh, managers can make a difference in your day-to-day work and what that environment was like. And I realized that I found myself gravitating towards managers who um, both knew how to manage and use strategy and how to navigate some of the politics within the office, but also had a strong technical understanding. And I sort of said, I want to do that. How do I do that? And so had a mentor who suggested I go to business school. And so um, I did and took a leave of absence from IBM to go to the University of Michigan. And so it completely planned on, it was a leave of absence, i planned on going back to IBM to go down a very, what I imagine would have been a traditional tech strategy track. Um, But while I was at Michigan, I ended up getting recruited by the FBI uh, to join an internal consulting program. And that was completely um, unexpected. Going into business school, I said, you know, I might consider other uh, jobs, other companies other than IBM, but I'm definitely never doing anything government related. I'm definitely (laughs) never doing anything nonprofit related. And I have done exclusively government and nonprofit since, uh, since graduating from business school. Um, but while I was at the FBI, I really just gained an appreciation for the way government works and the way government just touches our lives in so many ways that think, you said
3: appreciation. People. you mean to say appreciation on purpose?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to say appreciation on purpose. That's right. Right. I said I gained it because that uh, was not necessarily my viewpoint before I got into government. Um, it, was, it was kind of an experiment for myself when I joined, but um, the government does a lot. Um and you know, at a federal level, the government invests just a ton of money in federally funded research and development. And that's what I did when I was at the White House, is um, you know, during the Obama administration at the National Science and Technology Council, just looking at everything from STEM education to um, plant genomics to cybersecurity, and just all of these areas that the government invests in and uh catalyzes a lot of research and development that I had, frankly, no idea existed um, before joining. And so it was really exciting to, to go in deep. Um, and then I left the government and joined a think tank uh, in D.C. and then started working with a lot of nonprofits and state and local governments. Really just how can these entities, these public interest organizations use technology better? Sometimes they haven't adopted technology because they're so focused on what they view as their mission. They just don't have the time to think mm-hmm. about, now let me go figure out what tech I want to bring in. Um, or sometimes it's because they can't afford or they don't have access to or don't know how to recruit um, the right technical talent to come in. So how do you sort of think about bridging that gap? How do you think about educating people to go do that? Um, and then sometimes it's because um, technology isn't always designed forever for everyone, And in fact... Rarely is designed for everyone. <laughs> and so it might That's not part. have a design for a social impact organization or an organization that is really prioritizing how black women need to access the social safety net or uh, just a wide variety of things. And so if technology isn't designed there. How do you um, do that? And so a lot of my work over the past couple of years has been really in this public interest space, the governments and nonprofits to really say, how will we use technology better? So done that with sort of yeah. traditional technology and looking at um, what the tech stack looks like. My last um, nonprofit that I worked at was an organization that did data science and AI for other nonprofits and government agencies all around the world. Um, and uh, yeah, that's sort of how I got there and, and my, my thoughts and approach on life. I'm glad you talked about kind of
1: the, the, the breadth and the depth of government service, of civil service. Uh, because I think when people, you know, think about a good government job, you know, you think about the post office or you think about something in defense. Um, but I, you know, it really is a, a, a viable, you know, and, and, um, potentially lucrative and, and, and a career that really could provide you with an opportunity to, um, give a lot back to society in, in, in a very grand scale. So, um, it, it's, it's just really interesting to hear you talk about all of the different areas that, you know, the federal government touches that we could hit, ha- that you could make a very specific personal impact on, you know, if you were working in some of those things. So I think for our listeners, you know, that's just something to consider as you're sort of charting out your career path. Don't discount, you know, that good government job because I think it could provide a lot of opportunities for people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I came to appreciate is just how some of the problems that you get to work on as a government employee are so interesting and things that you might not see, other places. Like when I mm-hmm. when I tell you the FBI was not a career option that I ever had in mind or had any category in my mind as to what I would do at the FBI or what scientists and engineers do at the FBI. But then, you know, there's an the entire engineering division that's, you know, essentially um, Q for the FBI. And so talking to the engineers who are developing things on the fly and figuring out how do we rescue this kid who's just been kidnapped and is being held in an underground concrete bunker? How do we get the right technology in there to help support the mission to to keep people safe those are just challenges that you can't see a lot of
3: other places so dispel the myths of us you actually getting recruited by the FBI because when I think of getting recruited by the FBI I think I imagine you walking down the street of your you know university and a black SUV pulls up <laughs> uh, two people come out the SUV and they say hey we need be to talk. Right to you your right fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. They pull you in. They <laughs> right. take you to some black site, and then that's when they, you know, let you know why you're really there. So, <laughs> let us know how that really works in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: so it was it was almost like that. Oh, okay, um, I oh, was right. <laughs> 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 I mean, almost. So I was in my apartment, and I opened my laptop, and there was an email from someone at the FBI that said. We're coming to campus. We'd like to talk to you. And I said, reply, no, thank you. Thanks for thinking of me. Um, and then a couple of days later, I got another email from a different FBI person that said, we're coming to uh, campus. We'd really like to talk to you. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go say no in person. So I'm Listen, gonna, now it, no I'm is not sure. an option at this point. Now you <laughs> got two people calling you talking about no program <laughs> Exactly. At the time, they had um, you know a special um, diversity recruiting program in addition to uh, to the overall program that they were recruiting for. And so the first email had been from the overall program. And second email, you know, was from someone else who was also an engineer from a a black guy who was an engineer undergrad and also had his MBA and so was doing that and he was like, no, really, I'm like doing this diversity. We're we're not asking. That That, was that second email. We're not not asking. He was like, do we fine. Just come come and hear us out. Here we are many years later. That's so funny.
2: (laughs) So, um, you know, something that I don't think a lot of people realize is that, and I, I believe this is still the case, but the federal government is the biggest single employer in the United States. Mm-hmm. So when you yeah. think about how many people work there, and then you start to think about all the different things the government actually touches that in these days, almost all of it is on the back end of a server somewhere that from an IT standpoint, there, there are an incredibly large number of people who are doing IT stuff for the federal government, but probably when they, you know, when they were doing their undergraduate study or when they were in high school or whatever, they were never thinking about, I want to go work for the FBI. I'm going to go work for this, um, you know, um, you know, you know, situation. Like my, my oldest daughter is actually doing some government stuff now. There is nothing that she could have told you in life that that's ever something she would have done just three years ago. And that's what she's doing now. So it's, it's a very, very, very big employer. And they have everything there. And I'm not trying to be a recruiter for the federal government, but it's like, it, it, it's not, if, if you're looking to get into IT or you're, you know, you, you're getting these higher level degrees, uh, you, when you've got the chops, they're looking for you because they, they need to have the best. They don't necessarily always have it, but they, they're trying to get it. I know that's one thing that they are absolutely trying to do is get the best of the best of the best because they're trying to do things, not just like, keep hackers from coming in they're trying to keep foreign countries from coming in so um that's just my little 60 second uh you know uh,
1: government plug government, it, uh, it, know, it's, plug, it's
3: okay if you if you ask rob is there a question in there somewhere there, there, there really wasn't a question i guess
0: i was just no, exactly. making, exactly. making so a point. many opportunities that again before i got that email not on my radar not on my radar at all well, talk to us about this,
1: this statue of women in STEM and the Smithsonian. Like, like I was like, who gets to be a statue in the Smithsonian? I, yeah. I just need to know, you know, the, the details and the backstory around that, uh, the, um, what is it? The if then exhibit at the Smithsonian.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will say I've been, again, fortunate to have had a lot of great experiences, but, um, walking into the Smithsonian and mine was at the Air and Space Museum. And seeing myself in statue form was, was pretty incredible. I, that would, ha- that would blow my mind.
1: Like that's it, was,
0: it was pretty incredible. And I got uh, to walk there with my dad and I had some friends and so it was just such a, such a great experience. Um, but uh, the IF-THEM uh, program, it was uh, through Lida Hill Ph- Philanthropies, is the one who funded the program and partnered with AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And it was back in 2019 when they selected about 120 women from all across the country, all different races, all different STEM disciplines, different ages. But the Common denominator being that all of the women selected were doing amazing things in STEM somewhere. And so you have everything from cancer immunologists to uh, the head physician for, for the women's national soccer team to myself. And so many in between are a part of this group. And the idea for this, uh, the Light of Health is who funded it, is that if she can see it, then she can be it. So Lida mm-hmm. Hill um, wanted to create a program to really help inspire girls to think about STEM more, to think about careers more, STEM career more, STEM careers more, um, to study STEM's uh, topics and to opt in and to continue opting in. And so through this program, they gave us a lot of exposure, gave us opportunities to talk to classrooms, um, to go into museums. Uh, they made collections, uh, video images, and still images that are available on ifthencollection.org. Mm-hmm. So any teacher around the country or any person around the country, there's now no excuse to say you couldn't find a woman in STEM. And given the number of Black women, especially, you couldn't find a Black woman in STEM to talk about in your class. That's yes, you right. pull that it, uh, select what type of engineer, what type of scientist you're looking for, see the faces, print off some posters show some videos of us talking about our careers. So it's that whole resource. So that we knew about when we uh, joined and they brought us all together in October of 2019. And then we were there in a big room and they said, oh, in addition, we have a surprise for you. We're 3D printing statues of all of you. Surprise! Collective, you know, gasp across the room. The and town. these are life size statues? They're life size statues. And wow. So they did, um, you know, the 360 pictures of us while we were there, which was a really interesting and, um, yeah, just interesting experience. I never uh, posed for a statue, I'd never taken a 3D picture before. Um, and so going through that process, the uh, statues were first on display in Dallas. And then um, this year for Women's History Month, they were on display throughout the Smithsonian.
2: Did I hear you say that you, uh, you, when you when you got to see the statue, your dad was with you?
0: Yes. Yeah, he was. Oh,
2: oh you couldn't tell him nothing.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you couldn't tell him nothing. Big, he brought his big camera. and He was. We were there. We. He was right. He was there. Yeah,
2: I can't, So. Can't am-
3: um. So. We. Um, as a society, and maybe even a little bit as a show, we like to uh, uh, to focus on the negative when it comes to black people in STEM, in engineering, in technology. Uh, we very frequently find and source and talk about um, cases of racial discrimination. About black folks in technology, you know, uh, getting jobs and then coming to find out it's hard to climb the ladder. They're fighting with HR, they're fighting with their managers, they're fighting with all these other people, and it's and as a result, you know, getting into technology as a black person seems to have all these extra hurdles that we have to either go through actually or be mindful about, you know, even if it never happens to us, right? Um. Uh, from the outside looking in, it seems like you had a favorable experience as a black woman in technology. So kind of let us accentuate the positive and kind of talk about um some of your um, interactions. Um, some of your you mentioned you had a mentor. Uh, you mentioned a brother uh, recruited you to the FBI via email. So talk about your experience as a black woman And all of the interaction that you had that kind of got you or helped you or molded you or whatever the case may be to get you into being a advocate for getting black women into technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely like to focus on the positives. The negatives are, are well-documented generally (laughs) and definitely in my life and in my own experience. Um, But I, I've just been so fortunate to have a number of mentors in my life and, um, when I was at IBM, I remember talking to this black woman, my you know, probably second year there as a full-time employee, and she mentioned something about think of like a personal board of directors. And that really became how I started to manage uh my mentoring relationships and really thinking about having a lot of people to give me advice and a lot of people to tell me to like get back in line in some cases, and a lot of people to help me really. Um, imagine more for myself and to think more and to really go after bigger things. And, um, by having, you know, a number of mentors, it meant that I, I don't have one, some people have one mentor who they just go to all the time. And I have that I have, you know, little that I go to, you know, about this topic, I'll reach out to this person about this other topic. I'll reach out to this other person and so on. And that's just been really helpful. I think back to give you an example to my... Um, just my decision to go to grad school and to get an MBA specifically. Uh, when I joined IBM, IBM was paying for engineers to get MBAs. And so I thought it was a great idea. And then by the time I was ready to apply, they had stopped paying for engineers to get MBAs. And there was a um, a master's of science in technology commercialization degree or something. Um, that's there, and it's perfectly fine degree. graduate. Like seriously, you know, pivoted so that I could get my graduate school paid for because I had a lot of student loans from undergrad. Um, and you know, I'd been talking to my mentor, and he was really pushing me to think about getting an MBA instead. I was like, I just don't know how I could do the money. I don't know how I could do this. And he's like, Well, just take the GMAT. Took the GMAT. Um, ended up doing really, really well on it. Um, really well. And I told him the score, and he was just like that is free scholarship money. (laughs) Like, why would you (laughs) shortchange yourself? And I was like, I don't know that I could apply for a scholarship. And he was like, what are you doing with your life of food? And ended up getting a a scholarship to Michigan. But even with that, I was like, it's just so far. I live in Texas now. I like my Texas life. I don't know that I want to uproot. And I was like, I don't even know that I want to visit it. It cost a lot of money to fly to Michigan from Texas (laughs) to visit. And so many excuses. And I just remember he and his wife were like, we will pay for you to go. Oh, visit." Michigan.
2: okay. Oh, that's a heck of a minute right there. Listen, yeah.
0: right. And I ended up not taking the money, but just having someone who believed in me so much that it was like, you need to explore this for yourself. You need to figure out if you need to know that you can do this because we believe in you, that you can do this. And I just go back to that so often. Um, you know, and it, my career. would I still have been recruited by the FBI if I'd stayed in Michigan if I hadn't got the MBA? Probably not. i would have a different trajectory completely. Um, but uh, you know, mentors like that who could just really speak into me and just really help me see more for myself, and in some cases, just, "A fool, you're not getting it right now. You need to get your life together." There's there's a lot of that as well. Um, and so, um, mentoring has just been so important to me.
3: Okay, so it sounds like support system. It's kind of like what helped you because you you mentioned that you've had some experiences that wasn't all too positive, you know, as it relates to being a black woman in tech, but you're still an advocate because it sounds like support system. You know, I think a lot of black folks, we tend to go it alone, you know, and maybe just not assume either assume that there are are no mentors or to assume that like I ain't trying to take up nobody's time with my problems when you as a fellow, you know, person in tech. You got your own problems. So the last thing you want to do is, you know, help me with mine. Right. You know, but I think support system is what, you know, kind of gave you a favorable outlook. Am I correct?
0: Yes, absolutely. It's made all the difference. Okay, Critical. It's a critical thing. So we
1: got to talk about the book.
2: I was just about to say,
1: we got to talk about the book so i wow. i I've started reading it, you know I, I I'm into it. I'm kind of flipping through some pages. I did finish the first chapter and then I've just kind of started skimming some pages. The one thing I found um that sort of struck me the most is that for a book about technology, um it really takes a very human centered approach and has a very humanistic um kind of tone to it. Um was that the intention going in? And if so, why was that important to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I am glad that's what I came across because that was definitely our intention going into writing the book. My co-author and I, um, you know, I you've heard my background, my co-author leads an organization called N10, which is one of the not largest nonprofit tech um nonprofits in the country. And, you know, so we spent a lot of time thinking about technology and how to use it for positive impact Um, and just recognize that in a lot of cases, we need to sort of change our relationship with technology. And so that really means we're starting with the people involved. And so we wanted to write a book that, yes, talked about technology development and got into not into the weeds, but into enough of a framework about how to do technology development differently but also recognizing that part of using technology in a more equitable way means that non-technologists as well can converse about technology. And so we wanted to write a book that you didn't need to be a technology expert in order to understand it. And then secondly, um, back to my point earlier and that, you know, we sort of live in this world that we've designed. Um, we don't always, people who develop technology, including myself sometimes, don't always think about specific people when you're creating the technology and sort of right. what's the purpose of this technology? What are people going to use it for? What could people misuse it for? And so in order to get that mindset, you really again you need to really think about who are the humans that are going to be affected by this technology. What's the community impact going to be when you roll out a new technology? Or what community does a or what technology does a community want and want to advocate for themselves? And so that that all comes back to people.
2: I'm just glad that there's folks like yourself and, and your, and your partner, Amy, 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 Amy
1: she, sample war,
2: yeah. that are thinking about this kind of stuff because a you know, a lot, like Terrence kind of, you know, uh, you know, framed this at the beginning of, of this part of the conversation that, you know, we, we talk about a lot of the, of the negative stuff. Um, you know, it's not our focus. We're just pointing out here, here's some things that are wrong that need to be fixed. And a lot of it is simply because nobody ever thought to think about the community before they put stuff out. It's like, I'm going to build this thing and it's going to be great. And that was literally the thought about the community. It's going to be great because I think it's great. And therefore, it's going to be great for everybody. And there there probably needs to be a lot more thought that goes into it than in that. So I'm just glad that there are folks like you that are out there thinking about these things, about, you know, here's the technology and here's how it could affect this community. You know, here's how it could adversely affect this community. Those things need to be thought about. And I think that if, you know, if we just spent a little bit more time doing that, um, and as you say, uh, you know, you know, doing it from the human approach, not necessarily that the, the hardcore tech side of it, but you know, that clearly the tech's going to be there, but you're thinking about how it affects people that we would be a lot further along than we are today.
0: Absolutely, I know Terrence, wasn't a question. <laughs> it wasn't a question, but I have I have thoughts on that as well. Yeah. Um, and so it absolutely needs to be you know, how does it affect the community? And how's it going to impact the community? But I also argue, it's equipping a community to say, I, I have needs, and I know what my needs are. And so let me articulate those to you and use that as a starting point for how we design technology. And not just always someone trying to swoop in and sort of define something for someone else. But really, how can we equip people to advocate for themselves and to build technology then from that starting from that community based starting point?
1: So, question. Um, I liked how you sort of broke out, you know, the 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 stakeholders, if you will, in this conversation—from the social impact organization to the technologists, the funders, the the policymakers, and the community. From the technologist standpoint, you sort of. Um, are specifically focused on technologists that create technology for social impact organizations. But I'd be curious to see, like, and I liked how you had, um, at the end of each chapter, there are like questions that you could ask each of those different stakeholders to sort of advance the conversation going forward. And, you know, a lot, those questions obviously apply, you know, from the technologist perspective to, Technologists that serve social impact organizations. Um, but we live in America and it's a capitalist society. So do these same questions and, and can you make these same arguments to, um, technologists that don't serve social impact organization? Like, can you, can you make the same argument to Mark Zuckerberg to get him to do a better job at Facebook?
0: Yeah, I would argue that we we should be making the same argument to uh, to technology in general, to technologists in general, because we all have to live in we all live in a world uh, that's governed by this technology and governed being somewhat intentional, given the size of some of these uh, tech companies. Um, But you know, really, when you think of things like, um, I think one example we talk about in the book is with uh, Facebook specifically and how the HUD, the Department of...
3: uh, Urban Development? Housing and Urban Development. Housing and Urban 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 Development.
0: development. Oh my goodness, I so apologize. Uh, I (laughs) promise I used to work in the federal government. I know what I'm talking about. But HUD brought brought uh, an action against um, Facebook a couple of years ago because the way they'd implemented their um, search algorithm for housing specifically was discriminatory. And it was preventing people from being able to see uh, different housing choices based on their race, based on their gender, based on their age, and based on their income. These are all things that are protected by the uh, equal housing, and uh, the Fair Housing Act. And so um, that's really important. You also think about um, things, um, not to overly pick on Facebook, but they've been in the news a bit uh, lately. And so when you think about uh, the weightings uh, that they gave and continue to give um, comments and reactions to comments, how it affects the overall discourse and the overall tone of the discourse and, you know, the image of girls, especially young girls, especially who are on uh, these systems, these are things that affect people's lives. And so if we're not uh, even more broadly pushing for tech standards that really do think about communities and think about humans that are involved, to think about ways to design for uh, as you design systems, everything from If you're creating uh, a form, do you let people select their race? Do you let people select their gender and more? Um, We will continue to miss the mark on making technology that is inclusive rather than exclusive and technology um, that does actually allow people to continue to play in even, yes, a capitalistic society.
1: Yeah. And I did have one more question. You guys, I don't, I don't want to dominate the conversation. No, no,
2: no. no. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, We know how you do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do, I do, I, I run off at the mouth a little bit. Um, this is my final question, though. Um, you know, obviously policymakers, one of the stakeholders in this conversation. Um, our policymakers currently are like a hundred. Um, and that's no disrespect to to seniors anywhere, but we need. New policymakers. I mean, that's just, just keeping it all the way real. Um, how do we cultivate that next generation of policymakers that will, number one, take an interest in this discussion and this conversation, think they can make a difference. Um, and then, you know, want to educate themselves and,
0: and bring, you know, their digital experience and expertise to, to the, to the conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I think we do this in a couple of different ways. One is through formal training. Um, and i been fortunate uh, to work with the Public Interest Technology University Network, which actually helped co um, found a few years ago. And it's now a network of about 50 universities who are committed to really thinking and um, training students in how to think about using technology for the public good. And so through that, and there are a number of uh, universities as well that aren't officially members of the pit UN. But, uh, do this as well is to bring into their policy schools, um, technology training and technology thinking or data science analysis skills to be able to train, um, policymakers specifically about technology. And then similarly to train technologists in your engineering schools, schools of information sciences, science, uh, to train a little bit on, you know, policymaking 101 so that people can start to bridge that gap and know how to talk across that. So I think the formal training is one thing that we can do. I think another thing is just continuing to work on some of the infrastructure within government as to how we pay people, how we recruit people, um, the length of time it may take to become a policymaker and what that process looks like to continue to modernize it, frankly, and make it a bit more transparent. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: And then finally, I think it's important for people to recognize that you too can be a policymaker, you too can be involved in the policymaking process. There's an organization in um, New York City called Data NYC that you know, trains people at very local levels, just goes in neighborhoods. and What problem are you thinking about today? Noise pollution in your neighborhood? Okay, let's um, go through. Let's see what data is available, uh, what open data is available that might be of interest to you. Let's teach you how to analyze it and teach you how to advocate for it and what your local policymaking process looks like at your local neighborhood level and your local city level. And so recognizing that not all sort of tech and policy changes, especially when it comes to how you will interact with it in your lives in your neighborhoods, happens at the federal level, but it can happen at the local level as well. And there's a lot can be done there. You can participate in that process.
3: And I'm assuming that involves more than just yelling at folks on Twitter, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would,
0: you know, yelling it on Twitter is probably a start that you may or may not want to do, but yeah.
1: Well, I see like an endowed chair position at like Georgetown University, where uh, of Bruce becomes the first professor of tech policy ethics, something, something, something. And, and that's the class, and you're the professor, and, you know, everybody takes the class, and we get this whole new generation of, of change makers
0: in, in Washington. Yeah, I'm speaking it into existence for you. Speaking it. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it.
2: (laughs) So, a fool, before we let you go, um, I want to put you on the spot. I want to ask you a question because I know that this is something that's uh, near and dear to your heart. If, If you had to talk, to, you know, to to young women, let's say seventh, eighth grade through high school, and you're talking to them about getting into a career in STEM, what do you want to say to them? Or what would you say to them?
0: There's so many things that I would, that I would want to say. um, But I think one of the most consistent pieces of advice I give is what my mom told me as I was just trying to make it through math classes, through science fair projects that she and my dad made me do whether or not I wanted to do them. (laughs) Um, and is, is just don't give up. Um, science and math aren't always easy. Um, sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes you have to try things multiple times. Um, and that just because it's difficult sometimes doesn't mean it's not for you. I think sometimes, um, We can be dissuaded by a little bit of a challenge, but a little bit of a challenge is a good thing. And then the same goes when you're in the workplace that uh, just because it can be challenging, um, people can be challenging. People are challenging. uh, Doesn't mean it's not for you. Doesn't mean you don't belong. Just just continue to do it. Great
2: advice. So uh, any more questions? Stephanie, I know you got six loaded, but you can't you I'm can't done. go Terry, The done. question I was I was really I'm asking done. the question for tears. You got any other questions before we <laughs> uh, look at the clock here? Are we gonna, you know, wrap up the uh the end of our show. Just wanna make sure. uh Glad uh, glad to have you on the show. Yeah. It Thank was,
0: you so much. It was so fun.
2: It was an absolute pleasure uh, having you. So before we before we even get to our uh, you know patrons, I just want to give folks uh, the opportunity to come and find you. Uh, why don't you tell us how people can get to you, how they can find your work, how they can find your book online?
0: Absolutely. The, the book is called The Tech That Comes Next, how changemakers, philanthropists and technologists can build an equitable world. It is available anywhere you buy books online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore probably has it as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at at Afua underscore Bruce, um, same handle on Instagram and very active on LinkedIn as well.
2: Okay, so once again, thank you so much thank for coming you. and hanging out with us. Mm-hmm. But we are, folks, to the end of the show. But y'all know how we do. At the end, we got to go ahead and we have to shout out the folks who are holding it down for us. So we have a new patron, and I'm glad to say because this is – we have been flirting with 100 patrons forever. Mm-hmm. It, it, been is, a big, it has literally that- been like – Probably That's been a number a number for months.
3: you. that has been a number for you specifically that you've been trying to hit for a minute there. And it's like, <laughs> so we've
2: been over it. It didn't immediately have come below it, but we've never actually hit exactly 100. It's like, you know, or, or been on 100. So we're at one, you know, our 100th Creighton is Winford. I just want to go ahead and give Winford a shout out. A so like I said, Lucky it has been a struggle. As, as I've told Stephanie and Terrence, we would, you know, we, we've been floating with it. Like, you know, we, you know, we're 92, then we're 93, then we're 98, then we're back down to 95. It's like, we, it's just been going up and down. It's like, can we just get to a hundred and actually stay there for a solid week? So yes. So, uh, Winford, uh, you know, put us over the top. We are at a hundred, uh, patrons and we want to thank all of our patrons for supporting the show. You guys are, uh, the ones who, uh, allow us to do what it is that we do. And uh, we appreciate, uh, you know, everyone that is uh, rocking with us in that way. And we appreciate all of our listeners as well. Amen. So, uh, Stephanie, why don't you go ahead and tell folks how they can get to you?
1: You can find me all around the web at Tech Life Steph or check out my website at tilldeathyoutweet.com
3: And hey, you can find me everywhere on social media at Brother Tech. That's B-R-O-T-H-A-T-E-C-H.
2: And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And also we are at the Tech John on all the things. And once again, we want to thank Afua. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. And until we meet again in a week's time. Peace. peace.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen.